When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome into another Patriots Beat Live with Alex Barth and Evan Lazar. Today we are going to take you through the 2021 draft class for the New England Patriots, one by one, pick by pick. We already broke down some of these players, Alex, but we're going to do them all in one place. You have all of our thoughts, and I'm sure that our opinions have maybe changed just a little bit about some of the picks that we discussed on Friday and Saturday of the draft, and uh, we've had a little bit more sleep. So uh, we can get a little, <laughs> bit, of a clear, a little bit of a clearer mind on, on some of these decisions. But overall, before we get into the individual players, just give me your one-minute take on the draft class overall. Sure. Um, I, you know, I think when people ask what makes a good draft, I think the answer is variety. It's, you know, did you not focus on all upside? Did you not focus on all safe picks? Did you not just solely trade up? Did you not just solely trade down? And I think for the most part, uh, the Patriots had a very well-rounded draft, a little offense, a little defense, a little, uh, a little, uh, high upside, a little bit of, of safe picks here and there. Uh, they got some older guys. They got some younger guys. The only thing for me is they didn't add any future assets I would have liked to see them do, even if it was minimal. Uh, but overall, I think they had a very complete draft, which is for where their roster was going into it, exactly what they needed to do. Yeah, you know, I think it's funny. I, I feel like we went into the draft expecting them to hit on corner, expecting them to hit on offensive tackle, maybe a wide receiver. They didn't exactly take the path and this is pretty common with the Patriots, the path that right. a lot of us thought that they would. But at the same time, they get the quarterback in the first round. I think that that starting point right there has to say, okay, they address the biggest need in the room, the biggest need on the team, the organization, quite frankly, is quarterback right, right now. So they address that right out of the gate. The rest of these picks, you can at least see – roles for everybody on the team based off their skill set. And we can talk about some of the decisions like Ronnie Perkins, for instance. I have no problem with Ronnie Perkins, the player, where he fits into the puzzle and where he finds playing time, I think is a little bit more of a challenging conversation. But I see the fit. I see the holes that they at least were trying to fill with some of these players. And I I don't, I don't know how I would grade the draft. I'm, I'm not a big draft grades guy in general, but this was a draft where they, like you said, I think that they took some swings on some players later on. They got the quarterback and they were able to kind of mix it around. You know, guys like Christian Barmore and Cam McGrone, and for example, I think they're two guys that are hopefully going to have tremendous upside. We might not see McGrone until 2022 because of the injury. We might not see Barmore in a huge role until he kind of expands his game a little bit. But down the road, I think both those players have a chance to be every down guys for the Patriots. So I agree with you. Some swings that they took uh, later rounds. You know, we didn't get 
uh, Bledsoe in the second round. We got Josh Bledsoe in the sixth round. So those are some things that I I think that you can look at and say, all right, this is, this is better. You know, this is a, this is a good approach that they took this year. Let's start at the top though with the, wait, let me, let me just go real quick because you made me think of something. Uh, yeah. You mentioned you don't like doing draft grades. I think the first show we ever did together was a draft, was draft, draft grades, and we gave uh, Duke Dawson like a, a C minus, and we got ripped for it on YouTube. But uh, I don't. It just made me think of that. That's kind of funny. That so this would be what our third, fourth draft working together. Yes. Fifth. Yes. Fourth. 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 Fourth draft yes. working together. Yeah. Yeah. So the very last year I did do a draft grades column and I will say I, I, I was pretty critical of the Dalton team pick. I feel pretty good about, about that grade. I just didn't, didn't see the projection, right? I was like, where's this guy going to play in their offense? Why in the third round? You know, things like that. But overall, I feel like with draft grades, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're confirming our priors, right? We're going into right. it and we're saying, this is what we thought of these guys before the draft. Now that we see where they've gone and where they've landed, this is what we find based off of our pre-draft evaluation of the player that this is where we find it, right? So I think that that's all well and good, and there's, you know, it's a, there's a play, place for it all, and, and there's plenty of things to consume. So if that's what uh, you want to consume, then you can go right ahead. Now I want to get into some of the players, and we're going to take you one through eight here with the Patriots draft class, starting with Mac Jones. And, and I find the discourse on Mac Jones to be quite ironic, to be honest with you, yeah. in a lot of ways, because – we have people, and I, I don't want to name names over at your station, Alex, but we have certain people. Well, it, right? it's not just my station. It's everywhere. That's very fair. Yeah. That have defended the wall when it comes to Tom Brady, have defended the wall when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo, and they have sat there and said, these two guys have winning skill sets. These two guys are great quarterbacks. These two guys are guys we want on our football team. The Patriots go out with a 15th overall pick, draft Mac Jones, who to me, I'm not going to compare him to Brady, but he more or less has a very similar skill set, if not better than Jimmy Garoppolo's. And all the Jimmy G guys that I had in my mentions for three months leading up to the draft, all of a sudden are saying, I'm a little skeptical of Mac Jones. How? How can you be all in on Jimmy G how can you defend the wall for 20 years on Tom Brady when all these people are sitting here saying Aaron Rodgers is more talented, Patrick Mahomes is more talented, and we always said Brady wins, Brady does the little things well, Brady does the details. Right. You know, you got to look beyond those physical tools, and that's what makes Brady great. We said all those things, and then they draft Mac Jones, and I see, hear a lot of people and see a lot of people saying, well, he doesn't have a big arm. He's not mobile. You know, he's not as good as Justin Fields. Why didn't they trade up for Justin Fields? And it just kind of, it's head scratching to me how you can be a Brady fan, watch Brady for 20 years here and not see the potential with Mac Jones because I'm not saying he's going to be Brady, but there's a lot of things to like about Mac Jones' game. So I think a lot of people just think of Jimmy Garoppolo as the guy he was prior to this 2017 season where he was the next kid and he was handpicked by Bill Belichick and they were really excited about him. And I think a lot of people are just willing to write off the time he spent in San Francisco. I'm not saying that's right. You shouldn't do that. But I think that's what it comes from is, you know, 
Bill picked him. He's got to be the guy. And look at Jamie Collins came back and succeeded. And Kyle Van Noy is going to come back and succeed. And, and Garrett Blunt came back and succeeded. Deion Branch. And I think they just viewed Jimmy as that guy. And they're willing to ignore the injuries. And they're willing to ignore the time in San Francisco. The the bigger head scratcher for me, because I think to some people just, the, there was more narrative with Garoppolo. And I know that that's not a football that does apply to the X's and O's, which we want to do in the in the show. But I think a lot of people were just excited for the story of, you know, finishing what was started with the Garoppolo pick in 2014, sure. and seeing that play out and seeing him actually become the next guy, the heir apparent, etc. I I think some people just want to see that, and I'm not going to fault anybody for that. I understand why you'd want to see that. There's more juice there objectively than there is with Mac Jones. As somebody who's very excited about Mac Jones, Jimmy coming back is a juicier story. That being said, the one that really doesn't get me, and this is more from the Cam Newton people than the Jimmy Garoppolo people, is, oh, well, Bill didn't want Mac. The Patriots didn't want Mac. They're not excited about Mac. Let's, let's put some cards on the table here with this. All right. First off, just because the Patriots ended up with Mac Jones does not mean that they picked him over Justin Fields. That's not what that means. Okay, people are using this as an example of the Patriots can't evaluate quarterbacks. We haven't seen either one play a snap. And the reality is they would have had to pay a lot to move up to get Justin Fields. If you're trying to build this team where you just spent all this money and you need to hit on impact player draft picks, would you rather have Justin Fields or would you rather have Mac Jones and Chris Olave? or Mac Jones and Josh Jude, or Mac Jones and Derek Stingley. These are all guys who are going to be first-year picks in next year's draft class. And they were comfortable with Mac Jones. Second off, oh, they weren't excited in the draft room. Have you never watched the behind-the-scenes footage from the Patriots draft room before? I know that the Lions were all hugging each other. In the Cardinals room, they were fist-bumping. That's never been the way it's been here. They've never done that. They've like they gave the applause for Ernie Adams after he picked Trey Nixon. That's its own thing, and that's different. And Ernie, you know, after forty something years, fifty something years, got golf claps. That shows you that the reaction to Mac Jones doesn't mean anything. And the biggest defense for me that they didn't that that they actually want Mac Jones, that this wasn't some oh they took him because they had to. You know what lets me know that they wanted Mac Jones, Evan, more than anything else. They drafted Mac Jones. There was nobody in there with a gun to Bill's head saying, right. take Mac Jones. I know well, that didn't we didn't hear Alex, the, the owner made him take the quarterback. So, right? Okay. That's- maybe there was, maybe there was pressure from ownership. Maybe, but you know what? Right. They really like Davis Mills from all reports we're hearing. They could have taken Zayvon Collins and then taken Davis Mills in the second yeah. round. And I'm sure Belichick has enough sway where he could go to Kraft and say, I know you want me to take the quarterback. This Davis Mills guy is it. Like, I'm sure Bill has that, has enough sway to do that. If they didn't want Mac Jones, they simply would not have drafted him. That's yeah. how that's, it's called a pick for a reason because you pick that player it's called a selection because you select that player you choose that player the the concept of bill belichick straight up drafted somebody he didn't want is mind blowing and, and, and the yes. concept that they not he's not running the board when he took two alabama guys and then two right. oklahoma guys right afterwards and went basically with his premium picks with programs that he knows Right programs that he's familiar right. with. And look, was it was Mac his, his first choice? Off the rails. 
Right. Well, so I was saying, like, was maybe Mac not. his first choice in the draft? Probably. Like, like you know, Car- him or Fields at 15. I, it, maybe he chooses Fields. If Devonta Smith falls, if, if Jamar Chase falls, like, maybe it changes. We heard from Doug Guy that they really liked Elijah Vera yeah. Tucker, who went before right. the, the, the pick before, right? The matter of the fact is, all things considered, they liked Mac Jones better than all the players on the board at that point because they drafted Mac Jones over all the players on the board at that point. The point you are trying to disprove people who are saying the Patriots don't walk Mac Jones is literally disproven. Your point is disproven by the definition of what they did. They picked Mac Jones. They chose him. They selected him. They had 600-something names in front of them. They had the whole list, and they said M-A-C-J-O-N-E-S. They picked him. He's their guy. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to be on bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC, MMA action. Real-time updated odds and props on almost everything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Sorry, I just, that has the been other thing that killing I, I, me. No, no, this is, the whole thing has been killing me too because I, I hear a lot of false narratives about Mac Jones now that they drafted him and it just is frustrating to me to listen to these people say, well, he had two first round wide receivers. He's well protected. He had a running back who was a first round pick and all of this is, it just nullifies everything that Matt so, Jones has ever put on. Can team. I bring that up too? Cause I wanted, I want to first off, you did a great job with that breakdown and everybody Thanks. should go check that out on the CLNS media YouTube page, but you, you've seen it. And I, I want to pose the question to you as somebody who spent hours watching Mac Jones, not, you know, not just this whole process, but specifically the other day. Yes. Right. Mac Jones had great receivers. Nobody's going to dispute that. How many times, like when we talked about Kyle Trask, right? Kyle Pitts would go up and make plays and bail out less than ideal throws from Kyle Trask. How many times did Mac Jones force his receivers to break off what they were doing and make the play? It doesn't matter who the receiver is. There's a football-sized window where the quarterback wants to put it, and Mac Jones was putting it in that spot. I I believe you you would know better, but you tell me. Yeah, and honestly, what I saw with Mac and the the whole goal of the video, first of all, the the first goal was I want to make it clear I didn't make a highlight reel of Mac Jones, right? I, I took throws for the most part. There were a couple of plays in there, I guess, that you could consider highlight reel throws, like the touchdown to Devontae Smith in the national championship game, for instance. But most of those plays were just quarterback plays, right? Just, just right. The first and 10 picks up eight yards. The goal was, of it was to show that this is a passer that – consistently puts the ball in good places, consistently gets the football out on time, consistently makes good reads with it, consistently makes good decisions, and moves well within the pocket, right? So we're not talking about somebody like a like a, a Russell Wilson, for example, that's going to scramble around for a bunch of times, or Patrick Mahomes, who's going to scramble around a bunch and throw it off-platform 60 yards down the field. We're not talking about that guy, but we're going to talk about a guy that stands in the pocket, gets through his reads, 
get really is very good at finding out where he's going to go with the football pre-snap and understanding where his answers are based off the shell pre-snap and then also gets the ball where his playmakers need it right so if there's a defender closing on his on the outside from the from the receiver he throws it inside so that the receiver doesn't run into the contact if he's trying to hit Devontae Smith on a slant coming over the middle on an RPO he's hitting it in stride right he's, he's not throwing it behind he's not throwing it at his shoes he's not throwing it over his head he's hitting Devontae Smith in stride so a lot of these plays and I wanted to highlight that RPO in particular that I put up there because that throw, if it's a little behind, if it's a little low, if it's a little high, Devontae Smith doesn't score a 40-yard touchdown. He scores a 40-yard touchdown because Mac Jones puts the throw right on the money and allows Devontae Smith to run into the football and then hit it full speed. Instead of slowing down to adjust to the ball, he's able to just take off. And that's why the play goes for a touchdown. The play works because Devontae Smith gets open at the line of scrimmage and gets open out on the slant route. But the play goes for a touchdown because of the placement by the quarterback. And, again, these are so many of the things that we used to talk about with Tom Brady. What makes him great? He throws receivers into yak. He protects receivers coming over the middle of the field. He doesn't throw the ball up for grabs, right? All these types of things are what I saw with Mac Jones consistently on tape. And then there's also plays on there. There's one against Ohio State in the national championship game. Everybody sits here and says Mac Jones can't make a second read play, right? He can't make a second reaction play where the play breaks down, the pocket breaks down, and he's got to make something happen. And yet he did that at Ohio State more than once. Right, he he ran out of the pocket because there was pressure, and the receivers kind of went on their own playground stuff, right, and, and sort of uh, did their own thing to try to get open. And Mac Jones extended the play with his legs and made a throw downfield. Those second reaction plays that we all heard all draft process, and now that no Mac Jones can't make those. Mac Jones made them. Not only did he make them, he made them against Ohio State in the national championship game on the biggest stage right. of college football. So I think that's the frustration that I have is that it's very clear that people have labeled Mac Jones the statue with a, a weak arm that's a, that's just another guy that was propped up by all these supporting casts. If you watch him play, there are so many instances where he just makes things happen or he throws the ball on time or he throws the ball accurately or he, he just understands the pre-snap reads and all these things. And it's just great to see that type of quarterback play get here in New England because we know that that's what is going to succeed. And uh, we're getting a lot of questions. We're going to move on from Matt because we talked about him for Wait, about can I make can I make one more point about Matt yeah. Jones? Because I, I just want to make this one too. Oh, but, Alabama quarterbacks don't succeed in the NFL. Why would you take an Alabama quarterback? They've never been good. Which, by the Ohio way, quarterbacks never did either. Also, Oregon quarterbacks had never been good until – like they're not good until they are – so, right. okay, Alabama quarterbacks have never been good. Alabama ran a highly antiquated offense until about four or five years ago. So, yeah, okay, Alabama's never have had a real starting quarterback. Evan, you want to tell me how many Alabama quarterbacks were picked inside the top 50 since the merger, since the, in the modern era, since 1960? You know? Zero. So there's Zero. been, One. going into last year's draft, there had been three. There had been okay. three picked in the first two rounds. Two of them are Hall of Famers. In Joe Namath and Ken Stabler, Richard Todd was kind of a bust for the Jets. Richard right. Todd was picked six overall in 1976. Between that and 2020, so last year with Tua, there were no Alabama quarterbacks taken in the first two rounds. So it's not that Alabama quarterbacks were all failures. Alabama wasn't producing NFL talent. 
the right. offense now is different. The recruiting now is different. So to say, oh, no Alabama quarterbacks have ever succeeded, that's not – it's a half-truth. It's a lie by omission. Sorry. All right. Let's 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 keep moving. Yeah, I and mean, the same can be said about Justin Fields, honestly. Like, Ohio, Ohio State quarterbacks get a bad rap because Dwayne Haskins failed and Cardell Jones failed and a lot of these other guys. I don't think it means anything for Justin Fields either. I think he's his right. own they, they keep They're all right. their own players, and they keep failing until they don't. That's what it right. comes down to. Okay, the last question I want to pose about Mac Jones just quickly here. A lot of questions in the chat about when we feel he's going to be the starter. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of a cop out here and say it's pretty difficult to predict when Mac Jones is going to start games before we even see a snap of him at training camp or in a preseason game, right? We don't know if he's going to be able to hit the ground running. I think he will be able to, but there's no way to know until he gets out there on an NFL field and starts practicing against NFL players and Stephon Gilmore and Devin McCourty and all these guys, how good he's going to be right away. But I think it's really easy to predict that Mac Jones will start at some point in 2021 unless Bill Belichick really wants to go with Cam Newton or Cam Newton plays extremely well and makes that transition difficult. But if you look at sort of the history of first-round picks, especially in the last 10 years, all those guys play year one outside of Jordan Love. He was the only one that hasn't played, I think, in over a decade, year one. And that's for obvious reasons because Aaron Rodgers in front of him. So I think that that's, that's the way I look at it is that it would be pretty unprecedented for them not to have a Brady or a Rodgers or someone like that ahead of him to have Matt Jones sit the entire year. And the other thing I would say is that this is a quarterback that – isn't a physically dominant passer necessarily, but is very good mentally. And I don't think there's going to be that steep of a learning curve. A lot of these young quarterbacks sit because mentally they're swimming in it, right? They can't catch up mentally to the NFL game to start year one, and they need a year to kind of work on their mechanics, but also work on what's going on between the years. I think eventually Mac Jones is going to be the starting quarterback here in 2021 for the Patriots. Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of take a cop out too as to when, uh, we don't know the schedule yet. And that's going to be a factor when the bye week is, when the Thursday night game is. Let's all hope it's not Thanksgiving. Um, there's a chance, there's a good chance that they're going to play in London, uh, with, with the, with the Fal, the Falcons we know are playing a game in London. The Patriots are scheduled to visit the Falcons this year. Patriots, the NFL generally likes sending them over there. So even though they, they represent the, the Patriot itself, if you think about what represents, they shouldn't be big fans of, of them in the UK, but that's the whole, that's just me making a dumb joke. Um, I, I don't, I, you know, the, the is going to be, play a huge part of it. I'm not totally sure that we see Mac Jones this year. Bill Belichick, if he doesn't play a rookie running back, what makes you think he's going to be, play a rookie quarterback? And look, they got the most NFL ready quarterback in the draft besides Lawrence. I think if, if they get Lance or Fields or Wilson, no question that that guy doesn't play this year. I think Mac Jones has a chance, but I don't know. Even if Mac Jones plays incredibly well, I don't know that that's going to be enough. I think Cam all, like if Cam's keeping them above water, I think Bill wants to make sure Mac Jones is as ready as possible. I think he wants to coach him up as much as possible. I think it would take an injury or Cam playing worse than he did last year for an extended period of time, uh, for us to see Mac Jones. And I think both are possible, but yeah. I think Bell, oh, that's what Bill be, said, right? You know, right. Cam's a star. 
better until somebody plays better, plays than, better than him, which is kind of like one plus one equals two. But I, right. I think they're going to be very conservative with Mac Jones and make sure that they get him in the best shape possible. And again, I think that buy is going to factor into if the Thursday night game and the bye week are both stacked at the beginning of the year, it's going to be tough. All right, let's move on to Christian Barmore, Patriots second yeah. pick, 38th overall. I think what you see with Barmore is a player that when he is, he is on, right? If Christian Barmore played like he did in the college football playoff for the entire year last year, he's a lock first round pick, right? But unfortunately, it does come and go a little bit with Barmore. But what you do see is a really powerful guy, a really attack-minded player who's very explosive for his size, and he's very, very strong at the point of attack for the most part. He's a very, very good pass rusher. And one thing I will say about him, and for a big dude, he's very nimble. He's a fluid mover, yes. right? He can really move laterally too, which gives interior offensive linemen, guards, centers. When you have a big guy like that that comes off the ball with that much power, that can also move his feet and attack your edges as often as Christian Barmore does, that's a really difficult blend to be able to block. Now, I have some consistency issues with him. I have some run game issues with him. But in terms of upside and what he could become, and early on I think we both agree that his floor is sort of like an Adam Butler, I think that he can develop into a really good three-down player. And the one thing I thought Bill Belichick said that was very interesting after day two was that Barmore has played everywhere from five technique over the tackle to zero over the center. So he can play all up and down the line of scrimmage. So what I took from that was that the Patriots hope that Barmore maybe is a 3-4 defensive end in base defense, and then in pass rush situations, they kick him inside and have him rush at from a zero or a one technique or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I said this the other day. I didn't think they were going to take Barmore just because of the fit with them moving to a 3-4, and I like that they did it. I like that they kind of said, you know, and Bill said pretty much this word for word after the draft, we'll get good football players, and then we'll figure out where to put them. Like, so few guys to be, I mean, he's big, right? He's 6'5", 3'10". But that's not, when you think about big on the defensive line at 3-4, it's more like 6-1, 6-2 in the 330, 340 range. Guys who are that size, that build that Barmore is, and play the game the way he does, it's yeah. so tough for them to succeed at the NFL. There's just not a huge history of it. The reality is, though, the guy, you're never going to see an okay 3-4 defensive lineman who's like 6-5, They're either irrelevant or, because the two that come to mind are Richard Seymour and Aaron Donald. And that's the prototype. And I think that's what somebody just said in the chat. You're right. That's what Bill's doing. He wants to see if he can turn Barmore into his Aaron Donald or his Richard Seymour. That's the plan here. And you know what? If he doesn't hit that, you still get a pretty good sub-package pass rush defensive tackle for four years. And there's nothing wrong with that. So the floor is pretty high, but I think Bill's licking his chops about getting Christian Barmore in the building and really coaching him up and putting some more muscle on that frame and letting him lose. Because, yeah, I'll say it again. I think, and this is if everything goes perfectly. I don't think Barmore is going to be this player, but I think this is, you know, the end goal. You you want high goals for these guys. You want goals right. that seem unrealistic to hit. I think the end goal here is Richard Seymour. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I'm I'm not going to pretend to here and pretend that I've broken down a ton of Richard Seymour tape. I obviously watched him when I was younger, but he we don't have access to the coaches' film from all the way back then, really. You don't. So uh, <laughs> I don't. They do. I don't. <laughs> Very, very true. But I think what I see with Barmore 
is definitely a player that has the upper body strength and the speed to power to be able to do a bunch of different things in the Patriots defense. So I, I hope that, like you said, they see him as a player that they want to keep at defensive end in a 3-4 so that he doesn't get overwhelmed by power inside. But I think if he's taking on double teams, if they turn him into Lawrence Guy or they turn him into Danny Shelton or something like that and he's got to take on double teams all day long, it's going to – He's not going to be as effective, right? But if he can get some one-on-ones, if he can two-gap a little bit, but not all the time, I don't I know think about he's this. Going to be really, if but, he's getting double teamed, somebody else is one-on-one, and isn't that maybe part of the plan that you kick him inside maybe. on passing downs and you get him doubled, and that lets Chase Winovich, Josh Uche, Ronnie Perkins, and it lets those guys get their one-on-ones. I would, I, I would just. I don't know. When I watched him try to take on double teams, especially against the run, he had trouble anchoring. And the biggest reason why... But isn't there a value in just drawing a double team? Like, go back to what Teddy Bruschi said the night that they took him, right? That Patriots linebackers are going to love playing behind him. I suppose... uh, I'm Look, whenever I see a defensive tackle, especially against the run, push up the ball like that, I I don't know. it, It definitely gives me pause about that player's fit in terms of the Patriots system. Now, what I do see with Barmore is a guy that when his technique is right, he's able to he's able to anchor against the double team. What happens with him sometimes, what I see, is when he gets a double, he tries to go around it. He tries to slip it or he tries to beat it with his, his you know, lateral quickness and sort of uh, finesse it, right? Whereas when he actually takes on the base blocker and plants and anchors and lowers himself down and uses his upper body strength and tries to lock out a little bit, then he is a little bit better at anchoring towards those double teams. But when he tries to move his feet, then you have a little bit of issues, right? When when he tries to keep his feet moving and try to attack the edge while he's getting double teamed, he gets high and he gets pushed off. Now, that might not matter if they're only going to play him on second and long and third down and stuff like that. In that case, if he gets double teamed a bunch, like Adam Butler did, for instance, here as part of the scheme, then – that's that's good, right? When he's rushing the passer, right. if he's taking up two guys, then that's all that's all well and good. It's a run. I just hope that he becomes a little bit more consistent there. But I, I do like the upside of him against the run because I think there is some upper body strength. I think there is some block recognition. He just has to get better at just anchor. Just just park yourself there when you get double teamed. Don't try to beat it. Don't try to move around it, right? Don't try to keep your feet moving because when you keep your feet moving and you don't just kind of sit and anchor and get low, that's when you start to get pushed backwards. Right, yeah, and again, we're just talking about, you know, this is the long term. I think immediately he's just a a pass rush specialist and – They'll develop his game against the run in the background. I don't think he's playing any more than 35, 40% of snaps max as a rookie. The goal is to develop that run game and get him more into the lineup on a regular basis down the road, right? right? Devon Godshaw is on a two-year contract, and I think that might be the window you're looking at where they use him, you know, look, and if he progresses faster and he gets starting reps, great. But I think the ideal plan right now is he's a pass rusher for the first two years, and then in year three you look for him to make that jump where he's their primary defensive tackle. So, you know, if that all lines up and, and that's how that's his career path in New England, they made a great pick. 
Yes, yeah, so I'm getting uh, a lot of people in the chat are saying that my Wi-Fi connection is uh, is choppy right now. Uh, apologies for that. Um, we, we might try to X out here and, and try to get back up and, and do the rest of these guys. So uh, Alex and I are going to sign off real quick. We'll be well, right back. Do you back. want me to just stay on so we don't uh, lose yeah, let's so try this to, is one yeah. feed? Yep, let's try to do right, that. Somebody throw me a question here while Evan drops out and works on his works on his internet. There we go. If anybody's got one. Um or I guess I'll ask you guys a question. Like what what pick did you like? What was your favorite non Patriots pick? Besides obviously, you know, Trevor Lawrence, I guess, duh, but you know, give me give me some depth picks. Who'd you guys like? Uh and, and I'll tell you what I think in the chat. I mean, I'll I'll give you some teams while you're going. I thought did well. I thought the Detroit Lions did very well. Um I thought the Tennessee Titans had a very good draft. I, I already did my rant. If you missed it earlier, you can rewind. I did a rant on Mac Jones and why the Patriots did in fact want him. Besides the fact that, uh, despite the fact that Bill Belichick did not break out a cake on the draft table when they picked him. Who's my favorite Patriots player of all time? Uh, ooh, uh, uh, uh was a good, good pick. Um, my favorite Patriots player of all time. I mean, it's Tom Brady. My first one was Drew Bledsoe though. I, is the first jersey I had. I am psyched they got a guy named Bledsoe. Am I disappointed no corner was drafted? A little bit. I trust their ability to go out and find a corner. I think maybe they pay one next year. A little bit, but I, the board didn't really fall for them. I don't know that there was ever a point where there was a corner they needed to take. Uh, the Browns had a very good draft, certainly. Um, yeah, Zayvon Collins was a good pick. I, I, yeah, the Bengals probably should have taken a tackle. Edelman was up there, too, again, because of the 11. I, I When he returned that punt against the Eagles, I knew right there. I was like, this guy. You know, he's got Bledsoe's number and, and he's returning punts for touchdowns. He's going to be great. Uh, all right, Evan, we can, we can pick up where we left off. Am I, am I, am I better or maybe we can get a thumbs up from people in the chat? If maybe a little better. bit better. Let's try, it's let's better. try one more prospect and we'll see. Where yeah. We go. All right. All right. Let's see. Here we go. Um, all right. Ronnie we'll do Kirk. the UDFA one at the end because I do want to get into that, but we'll do that at the end. Yeah. We will. Um, we, we got to go a little bit faster because we're going to be here yeah. all night. Well, I mean, those are the two big picks. We can, we can kind of move yeah. a little bit here. Yeah, Ronnie Perkins now. Um, so look, I, I like Ronnie Perkins as a player. I, I think that he's got a lot of things that they look for in an edge defender. Strong, good, alright, so I'm getting everybody saying that it's the same. So let me give me a second. You keep answering questions and I'll, I'll try to reset my internet. We'll go from there. Alright, what else, what else did we have? Uh, what else did you guys have for questions? Cause if he has to reset his internet, it's going to be a bit longer. You know what? I'll do the UDFA one now. So, there's a couple of reasons why they might not be signing you DFAs. Mike Reese pointed out a very good one I didn't consider. If you remember last year, the NFL cut the roster from 90 to 80 going into camp, right, because of COVID. And I think the Patriots aren't totally sure if they're going to have that 90-man limit. They don't want to sign guys with guaranteed money and then have to cut them because the roster's cut down. They're at 82 right now, I believe, is the number, with Jakob Johnson's roster exception. So there's that. There's also the fact a normal draft pool is just over 1,000 players. It's normally just shy of 1,100. This year it was in the 600s. So you had a much smaller pool to begin with. There's a lot less talent. I don't know that there's anybody, right, the quality of the UDFAs goes down a little bit. So I'm not sure that, there, there's any guys necessarily that they maybe want to sign. I thought there were some quality players. They didn't end up getting any of them. Uh, there's also, they have two weeks. They may have missed on all the top guys and they want to wait. There wasn't a ton of information on some of these guys going into the draft. Teams are having trouble getting information. It might be a little easier now that they're free agents, right? And they're not draft prospects. So they still have some time to go get those guys. So, you know, maybe in a week or two, we see some guys piling in. I do think they need just, 
not necessarily roster depth. I think for roster depth, they need another outside corner. But for camp depth, they need another safety. They need another offensive lineman. You could argue they need another quarterback. Again, for training camp depth, not talking about the 53-man roster, but just for training camp to operate the way they need it to operate. They need a couple more bodies. So they might fill those with veterans. They might, but I, I think we'll still see somebody, uh, a player or two trickle in here um, before they come in. If you guys want to keep the questions coming. But, yeah, I mean, they're going to sign – Somebody like Jason McCourty's still out there. That's definitely a possibility. I think they are going to go out um, and find another offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman specifically. Who was it that got cut? Uh, the, the tackle got cut, I think, by the Broncos today, right? Who'd been their starter for like six or seven years. Do I think Sony gets traded? No. And we'll get into this when we get to the Ramondre Stevenson pick whenever Evan comes back. Um, I don't think Sony gets traded this year. Uh, they just don't like playing rookie running backs and – they, they need Sony for the depth. That's another one. Running back right now, like, they have a good group, I think, for the season, but those players get hurt all the time. I think they'd like another back in camp, and then they can maybe stash on the practice squad. So, you know, I think there's maybe more positions. Golden Tate's an interesting one. He makes a ton of sense for them, but we've said that for years, that Golden Tate makes a ton of sense for them. And they tried to sign him two years ago, but they've never made a major push for him, which makes me think that there's something there that that we can't see. Uh, Kenny, I, I would love Kenny Stills. I don't know that there's room for another receiver on this team. If it's Julio Jones, you make the exception, obviously. Uh, I, I just think that when you look at it, right, I, to me, we've hit this point where memes become reality when we talk about NFL roster building. Like, And I know we ended up being good, but Rodrigo Blankenship was a meme last year. He goes undrafted. I think the Patriots needing – a wide receiver is more of a meme than reality because you can't look at the wide receiver position in a bubble. That's just not how it works, right? You have to look at it the context of the whole roster and, oh, they need a number one wide receiver. They have two. Like, don't forget, they signed John Smith and Hunter Henry. Both of those guys, I believe, Henry Smith, I believe, is a 100-catch threat. Henry, I believe, is a 1,000-yard threat. I don't know that Henry, Henry's getting 100 catches. I don't know that John is getting a thousand yards, but they're both legitimate threats, right? Nelson Aguilar is a really good third piece. Uh, you want to keep developing Jacoby Myers. He showed you something last year. He was on a thousand year pace last year. If he had played at the beginning of the season. And I think Kendrick Bourne can be a serviceable player as well. And then there's obviously Nikhil Harry who maybe he turns it around. I don't know. The point is they're set to carry nine pass catchers this year on a 53 man roster. When you include the receivers and the tight ends, nine pass catchers, that's a lot of bodies at that position, in that role. And you could argue, well, they shouldn't need to carry two tight ends because the picks last year. That's an argument we can have, and I think that there's some some validity to that. But they picked those guys. They're here. That's the reality of it. They're probably not getting cut. So you have nine pass catchers. On top of that, they're going to be in 12 personnel a lot, which means two tight ends and only two wide receivers. So where most teams only use four receivers, most teams use four receivers, three on the field at a time with the fourth in rotation, the Patriots are mostly going to have two on the field at a time with a third in rotation. You put all that together, there's just not a ton of room for another receiver on this roster, unless it's somebody high-end like you bought up. You brought up Julio Jones. If they had had a shot, maybe, at Devonta Smith or, or at Jamar Chase, it's another conversation. And then, yes, maybe a guy like that. But, you know, for a middling wide receiver, I don't know that there's room on this roster. Evan, if I, you just start talking when you're back. I just saw you, but... When you get it all figured out, you come back. But I just don't know that there's room for that back. guy. 
Okay, unless Nikhil gets traded. If Nikhil gets traded, maybe we have a more serious conversation about a guy uh, uh, like, a, uh, like a Golden Tate. And, yeah, I think you go into it next year. Chris Olave, Mechie, guys I really like. You dip into it next year. And Evan is glitched to all hell. Can you hear me? Are you back? Yes or no? I don't think he's back. I can't hear him. So um that's the wide receiver spiel. I don't know. Am I getting ripped in the comments for that? No. You guys seem to pretty much agree. Um Evan, you just talk over me when you're back because you're frozen right now. Um And, and so I'm not going to know if you're back until you're back. Uh, is Bill trying to build his old school defense is a very you good question. Now? I actually wrote about that last year before the draft. And you can go and find this. Go search 98.5thesportshub.com. Uh, if you go back in. I'm gone. Oh, I'm still here. Okay. Um, <laughs> so the article's title is Bill Belichick building a throwback roster. And basically what I believe, and I think I've been vindicated in this take is that if there's not a ton of context, right, for Bill Belichick pre-Brady. And I think Belichick, as unpredictable as he is sometimes, um, I, I think that there's patterns. You know, you do something for as long as he's done it. And, again, Evan, when you're back, just tell me. Um, are, are you back? I hope so. Am I back? Okay. Okay. So I won't spoil it. Go read it, 98.5thesportshub.com. <laughs> it's Bill Belichick building a throwback roster. Let's get into Ronnie Perkins. All right, let's talk about Ronnie Perkins. Hopefully my feed is a little bit better now. I've tried every trick in the book. We've unplugged it and we plugged it back in. If that doesn't work, then uh, Comcast is just going to have to come out here and, and, and fix whatever the heck is going on. But we were on Ronnie Perkins, and uh, again, if, if my stream is, is really terrible, just let us know in the chat, and, and we'll try to do this all over again. I'll, just, I'll finish the show in vamp. That's fine. I was having Yeah, fun. that's fine, too. Uh, Ronnie Perkins. So as I was saying before everything uh, shit the bed, I, I like Ronnie Perkins, the player. I think that I see a, a really good fit in Ronnie Perkins in their scheme. You know, a guy I can put out on the edge that's a little bit stronger. Bill Belichick mentioned multiple times in his post-game pre- press conference. It's definitely not the headphones, guys, I promise. Uh, <laughs> that uh, he is a physical player. Very, very physical player, right? And he said that like two or three times. And when you watch him play, you definitely see those things. But my, my concern or my question that I can pose to yeah. the chat here about Ronnie Perkins is what is, where is his path to getting on the field, right? Because you have sure. Kyle Van Noy, you have Matt Judon ahead of him for sure. Uh, Chase Winovich, Anthony Jennings, Josh Uche from the last couple of drafts. It, there's a lot of bodies at that spot. And, and if you have a lot of bodies at that spot, then where does this fit in? Where does this draft pick fit in? It's not that I dislike the player. I think he's got a good skill set about him. I love his motor. I love the play strength. But where does he fit in? So what this tells me, and somebody beat me to it in the comments. That's a good point. I I think they're trying to push Chase Winovich a little bit. Because Perkins, to me, is a lot like the player that we were sold on Chase Winovich being. Or like the player that Chase Winovich looked like he can be coming out of Michigan. Now, I still think he's been a very good player. I just don't know that he's as strong against the run as they want. And I think the idea is that Perkins will play against the run, Winovich will be the pass rusher, and maybe he gets some more snaps at middle linebacker. I think 
Perkins is going to take Winovich's role, maybe not this year, but long term. I think Perkins takes Winovich's role, and I think there's actually going to be a new role for Chase Winovich. I don't think he gets cut. Uh, maybe he gets traded if they get tremendous value for him. But, right. you know, we saw him, his best game last year, he was playing middle linebacker against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. I wonder if it's going to be, he becomes more of a game plan player who can play all along the defensive line, can play at the second level, and they just kind of plug him in and put him game to game where they need him. I don't know that there's anybody that's ever had that role for them before, at least not in the front seven. There has been in the secondary, but not in the front seven. But I wonder if that's the plan because, like, it's clear as day to me that Perkins is is cut for the Winovich role, but I don't think they're going to give up on Chase Winovich yet. So I think Perkins takes his role and his role changes a little bit. I'd love to see him at middle linebacker some more. I really would. I'm curious what he can do. Yeah, the one game there he really played with middle linebackers against Baltimore and given, look, it, 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 they threw him into the fire at middle linebacker in the middle of the season without a whole lot of reps. He was over pursuing the football a little bit. He was susceptible to some cutbacks and things like that. But the speed there and the pursuit was was really, really good. And we're so used to seeing guys like Alan Roberts or Dewan Bentley. So to see somebody that could run like Winovich playing off the line of scrimmage, that was a nice change of pace. So maybe he can develop into that role. He also mentioned uh, to, uh, I believe it was to Mike Reese, or, or maybe it was Rob Ninkovich through Mike Reese, said that, he was going to add some weight. Winovich I'm talking about, right? He's going to gain 10 pounds this offseason to be a little bit sturdier on the edge. So I see a Patriots team that all offseason long between Judon, between uh, Van Noy, obviously between uh, Ronnie Perkins, they have been trying to get beefier. They've been trying to get uh, more physical. They've been trying to get stronger, all those types of things on the edge of the defense. I think last year Bill Belichick saw John Simon and they saw Winovich getting pushed off the ball, failing to set the edge, and they said, no moss, right? We're not we're not right. dealing with this anymore. So Winovich, I agree. Best utilization of his skill set at this point, pass rusher specialist, third down, second and longs, bring him in to rush the passer. Maybe you have him play some inside linebacker. And at the end of training camp, if Ronnie Perkins looks good and the veterans are playing well and nobody gets hurt, if Winovich, if you can get something for Winovich and maybe it ends up being more of like a player for player swap, not a draft pick, right? You know, maybe you do like a Jacoby Brissett for Philip Dorsett type trade with Chase Winovich right. and you, you take him from a position of strength and you trade him out for somebody at wide receiver or you trade him out at somebody uh, at corner or something like that if you need that extra depth. So I think corner, uh, you're, you're onto something there. Yeah, so I think those are that's a possibility, but I think we're a little bit ways away from that happening. I think Winovich is going to have to come into camp, and really, uh, Ronnie Perkins is going to have to come into camp first of all and really push Winovich, and then second of all, I think Winovich is going to have to show no signs of improvements, really, right? You know, from the yeah. last year and this year, in, in setting the edge and in stopping the run. So I think he's still got a role. It's possible that he can still play in pass rushing situations only, and now they have so much depth. They can rotate a bunch of guys in. But back to Ronnie Perkins for a second, uh, I think the one thing that you see with him consistently is the play strength and the physicality. I'm not sure if he flashes as much as a pass rusher as a guy like Winovich, right? I, I don't think that he can rush the passer or has as quite as good explosiveness or first step uh, get off ability as a guy like Chase. So he, he's more of that heavy handed, strong, burly type of player. 
maybe he's somebody that they try to put on some weight, you know, have him get up to 260, 265, and have him play with his hand in the dirt as a defensive end because that's what he played 90% of the time at Oklahoma. He was very few reps as a stand-up edge rusher at OU, and he was really effective coming out of a three- or four-point stance. And most of the reps that I saw of him as a stand-up rusher, I actually thought that he was more explosive going low from his hand in the dirt and kind of coming out of it like a track runner would out of a three- or four-point stance. So I don't know if they see they kind of said he's kind of this tweener, right? He's sort of a defensive end, outside right. linebacker tweener. Uh, let's get him into camp and see where he kind of falls on that scale. Now, I could definitely see Ronnie Perkins, who's starting at about 252, 253, maybe packing on some weight, getting up to 260, 265, and playing a little bit of end with his hand in the dirt as well. So very versatile player, very physical player. There's a lot of Patriot vibes. And I think that they went more towards with Winovich, with Uche, they went towards more athleticism and more explosiveness because they thought that's sort of where the game is going and we need to get faster on D. And unfortunately, they did that and they gave up a lot of yards on the ground and sort of gave up away way too much in terms of the run game. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I agree. I, we, I know we have more prospects to get to, so uh, <laughs> okay. I, I agree. And let's, who do we got? Oh, we got a fun one next. All right, so Ramondre Stevenson, running back from Oklahoma, pick 120. Uh, I tweeted out a couple of different times about Ramondre Stevenson. Alex, you're the running backs guy. I'm not usually the running backs guy. I love watching this guy play. You know, I I, I had heard of him. He's not exactly on my radar. I didn't think we are going to go power back. So I really – had most of my exposure to him after they drafted him. And this is, uh, this is mini leggy, right? This is mini LeGarrette Blunt here. Well, okay. He's not okay. quite as big as like LeGarrette Blunt, so I'm not going to call him, uh, exactly that, but I think that this is a player that runs extremely physically, a uh, great vision, great patience, right? They pull a lot of guards at, uh, at OU, a lot of tackles. They love GT counter, right? Pull the guard, pull the tackle, bring it around. Let's run it downhill. He was really patient behind those blocks, and I like that about him. Was able to set up his blocks, and then once you get a guy that big downhill, now you're really talking. He can catch the ball a little bit, and he can pass protect a little bit. So I think there is some a little bit more versatility there than maybe a guy like Sony Michelle. At least hopefully, Sony was a good pass catcher in college too, and regressed in the pros in that department. So you hope that a guy like Ramondre Stevenson can continue doing that as well in the pros. But a, a sneaky good pick, I thought, for the Patriots, even though a lot of people were kind of questioning the running back. Right. So first off, never call a Garrett Blunt leggy again. Just don't do that. There's, there's no need that's for that. A, that's a nickname. Of, I've never heard anybody call him that. I've never heard that. Been his He's LG. called himself that. Has he? I've heard him call himself yeah. LG. Are you? Okay. Did you think LG was leggy? It's LG. Look, no, Garrett. LG. No, I didn't think it was leggy. Mini, okay, mini LG. Mini LG. Mini LG. There you go. And yeah. Yeah, so he is to an extent, and the comp certainly there when he's carrying the ball. And I think you know, he's he's a guy who's he's one of their backs. He's going to be one of their backs, like like one of their stereotypical backs. They're going away from. They've been signing these guys that are like two hundred, two hundred ten pounds that weren't really power backs, weren't really elusive backs. Just did a little bit of everything. Nothing wrong with those guys. That was just their type. And now they go out and they get two hundred forty pounder Andre Stevenson. But like you mentioned, it's what he does in the passing game that really interests me because, you know, he's not James White. He's not a guy who's going to get himself open down the field. But whether it be screens, whether it be checkdowns, he's comfortable catching the ball. 
He knows what to do after he catches the ball. And more importantly, somebody, I think it was uh, uh, Keegan Stiefel from Pat's pulpit, I believe. I, I apologize if I'm misattributing this. Somebody pointed out during the senior bowl, he looked like a left tackle playing running back. Yeah. Excellent pass blocker. And we talked a little bit about this when I was super in a Chuba Hubbard, right? Who was still on the board, by the way, at the time, um, before that pick that the Patriots have really cart, uh, compartmentalized their running backs in recent years. You had the early down back, you had the secondary early down back, you had the pass catching back, and then you had a guy who was kind of an all around back, but he wasn't great at anything and you just kind of plugged him in when any of those other guys needed a break. That's how they've compartmentalized their backs. Ramondre Stevenson to me, is one of the more well-rounded backs on the roster right now, but he has the upside. This is a guy who only played six games in 2020. We didn't talk about this, but uh, uh, um, why can't – Ronnie Perkins is the same thing, and Cameron McGrone yeah. will get into as well. I think they looked at guys, and when Bill Belichick said that the 2019 tape might be more telling than 2020 – we should have seen this coming. They got guys who were who would have been higher picks had they come out last year, but either didn't or couldn't, and then were limited in 2020. Not played poorly, but were limited. And Stevenson's one of them. So that's a long way of saying, I think Stevenson has the upside to be a number one back. He has the build to take a beating. He doesn't have a ton of mileage on him, only 160 carries at the D1 level. I wonder, they've really never had a back under Belichick that played more than, you know, 50, 55% of the snaps, at least not since Antoine Smith. And that was a very different offense in a very different game. I wonder for Mondre Stevenson, not this year, I think he gets the redshirt year because he had fumble issues at Oklahoma and they're going to coach that out of him. I don't think we see a ton of him this year, but year three of his contract, I wonder for Mondre Stevenson is a guy who can play 55 to 60% of your overall snaps offensively. And they haven't had a back who realistically could potentially do that in a while. Yeah, and it's funny because I think the most versatile back that they've had on the roster for the last couple of years is Rex Burkhead. But Rex right. Burkhead hasn't been able to stay healthy, right? So that's right. that's been a big problem. But I think Ramondre Stevenson, with his build, uh, you would hope that he would be a little bit more durable than a guy like Rex Burkhead. But what I really liked about him was for a guy of that size, the, the one thing that you always want to look for with those big power backs is do they keep their feet moving? Right. Do right. they keep their feet moving through contact? Do they keep their feet moving through the hole and out of the backfield and things like that? Because if those guys stop their feet, they don't have that ability to just start again on a dime. Right. They're not, they're not these guys that can just accelerate instantly from left to right or side to side or forward and back or whatever it has to be. So if he doesn't keep his feet moving, then that's going to be a problem. I saw a guy with Stevenson who's all his feet are constantly chopping. They're constantly moving and he's trying to constantly gain forward momentum. Even when he's making a guy miss, even when he's trying to uh, tackle, he's still moving forward and his feet are still constantly in motion. And that's usually bodes really well for those types of power backs. So I think that bodes well for Ramondre Stevenson, who, like you said, might be a redshirt year in 2021. Maybe we're more talking about him in 2022. And so they don't re-sign Sony Michelle and they hand the backfield over to Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. Quickly, J.J. Taylor, I think maybe we all, and we tried to say it a couple times on the pod, that maybe J.J. Taylor is already the James White in waiting. Maybe he is already that pass catching back in waiting. And this pick kind of solidifies that to me, that they were more concerned about what to do with the early down back role post Sony than they were with the 
pass catching role post James White. So maybe they know they're going to go year to year with James White or something like that, or maybe they really feel very good about JJ Taylor in that role. And, and Ivan Fears, running backs coach, every time we asked about JJ Taylor last year, Alex, he he, he praised on the guy. Right, he was like, yeah. he's little Dion. Uh, we're really excited about him. This is your typical redshirt year for Patriot rookie running backs. He's going to be a big factor for us down the road. So I, I think that they feel like JJ Taylor is a player, and they're going to have him as sort of that James White role eventually. And Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris are going to take over this backfield in 2022. Yeah, Ramondre Stevenson to me that was just about getting out a year ahead of of Sony Michelle's expiring contract. I, I don't. Yeah. yeah, I think Taylor. We'll see what he looks like as a pass blocker because that's a concern for him in yeah. that role. But yeah, I, uh, I, I, I he's going to have a, he's going to have a role on this team. I don't think he's going anywhere. JJ Taylor. Yeah, no, me neither. All right, so let's move on to Cam McGrone. Uh, we know that Cam McGrone is probably going to sit out the 2021 season. It's not a guarantee. Towards the ACL in November of last fall. So I guess theoretically, if he has a quick recovery, he might be able to play at some point in the second half of the season. But my guess is, is they'll probably IR him out of camp, so he's probably not going to be able to come back. But even if he doesn't come back in 2021 and he's only a 2022 and beyond player, that's the perfect type of risk that you take in the fifth round, right? Yeah. You know you're good. this guy's going to have to sit for one year because of the injury, but this is a player in Cam McGrone that most people had as a top 100 pick. Like most people thought was going to go probably somewhere in the third round. You end up getting him in the fifth round because of the injury and you kind of kick the can down the road and hope you get that third round down. That third round of value. There we go. In 2022 and beyond. So I really like this player. There's three things that I look for with Patriots linebacker fits. The first thing is clearly, can you take people on, right? Can you, can you stack right. and shed in the box? Can you take on a, a climbing guard or a climbing center and shed the block or stand up the block and make a play? Check that box. Can you rush the passer a little bit? And can you blitz up the middle? Check that box. Can you drop into coverage a little bit, play low hole zone, play a little bit running back out of the backfield, stuff like that. I think he checks that box too. And I think that a guy like McGrone has a little bit more sideline to sideline ability than let's say a Jawan Bentley or an Alandon Roberts or somebody in that sort of mold. So very, very good player at Michigan when he was out there. I think he's a better athlete than a lot of the inside linebackers they've gotten in the, in the, in the past, not that typical Bentley, 255, 260 pound bruiser. This guy's a little bit more athletic than that, but can still have the upper body strength and the ability to take on blocks. So I'm really uh, optimistic. I, I think that McGrone's going to be a steal once he does get on the field. And I would add to people, oh, why do you take a guy who can't play right away? We talked about this, Evan, a lot going into the draft. Yeah. They had 10 picks. They weren't going to be able to make them all. They just didn't have the roster spot. So what a perfect compromise where right. you're still able to add a player and they don't have a fifth round pick next year. They don't have, I think, rounds five, four. No, they have four. They might not have four. They don't have five and six. I don't, yeah. I, and they have a bunch of seven. Anyway, they don't have those early day three picks next year. So you, you get a guy who's not going to count against the roster this year, who, you know, you're getting well, well above slot. I just, I thought it was a brilliant pick. I really did. Yeah, I think that's a great way to sum it up is, is they knew that they weren't gonna, they basically consolidated a pick without consolidating a pick. Right, they consolidated right? a pick without getting rid of one. Yeah, they, they turned that, you said he was projected third round, right? Yes. In a way, they traded a 2021 fifth for a 2022 third and all it cost him was a year on a contract. 
essentially. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think right. he's, again, a lot of Patriots fans clamoring for that speed, right? That explosiveness at the second level of the defense, somebody that can actually run and pursue sideline to sideline. He's not their so, typical 260 pound middle linebacker. No. Like he's not no. built from that mold. He's closer uh, to right. Therese Hall. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying he's Micah Parsons, right? He's not going to, he's not going to no. be flying around the field, but I think he does have that ability to go and pursue the football a little bit more outside the tackles, right? He can actually extend it beyond that. There was a great play that, uh, that I, I showed of him uh, stopping a goal line stop against Wisconsin where they're running uh, outside zone with the fullback and they're, and they're leading out to the, to the sideline and he just scrapes from the second level and goes down the line and makes the tackle. That's something that Juwan Bentley and Landon Roberts, that, that archetype, that, that sort of body build, that those guys don't make that play. Right, those guys don't have that athleticism and that lateral mobility to be able to go out and slide through and make that type of play. Uh, Cam McGrone has that ability. He also has some really good upside as a blitzer too. A guy that was really impressive uh, rushing the passer up the middle as well. Joshua Bledsoe, one eighty-eight in the sixth round. Uh, it's funny. I, I looked up this guy's name because I wanted to get it right. A few years ago, Logan Wilson from Wyoming was a big-time inside linebacker prospect, and Bill Belichick said we did a lot of homework on Logan Wilson, but we noticed this other guy standing next to him, constantly making a ton of plays too. That other guy was Cash Malouia. Right, and they ended up missing right. out on Logan Wilson on day two, and they came back in round six and took Cash Malawia. It feels to me like the Patriots were doing their homework on Tyree Gillespie, noticed Joshua Bledsoe at the same time. They didn't get Gillespie. They get Joshua Bledsoe in the sixth round who can cover. I think he can tackle. I think he's physical. I think he does a lot of those types of things that Patrick Chung used to do, playing closer to the line of scrimmage. We'll see. I mean, six-round pick flyer. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to have a Patrick Chung-like career, but that's the kind of mold that they're going for. So that's that's Joshua Bledsoe. I also find it interesting what's going to happen in terms of the Devin McCourty replacement. I have a take or a theory that maybe we were looking at it the wrong way all, all the time, but what's your theory, at least, or what's your opinion, I should say, on Joshua Bledsoe? Yeah, I I think uh, special teams player to start. He played a ton of special teams at Missouri, and I think he's going to kind of slide into that old Nate Ebner role, which I don't know that they ever totally filled. I guess Brandon King, in theory, would be the guy, but he hasn't played football in two years. Right? Right. He had the injury in 2019, then opted out. So I think he starts off at a special teams guy, and then we go from there. Like You mentioned Cash last year, who obviously – isn't on the team anymore, but I think he's a guy who's going to get a shot on special teams. And then from there, you know, he'll progress and, and Adrian Phillips is on the last year of his deal and they will kind of need some more depth at strong safety position going forward. Um, so that, that's kind of my thought on him is, is special teams to start. And then we readdress in a year and see where they're at at strong safety. And I, you know, he's certainly got to work on his instincts a little bit and, 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 and all of that and take better paths to the ball, but he has the athleticism to do it. The question is, can he make enough of an impact on special teams to get to that point? I think he can. I think he'll be around. And I know you're probably floored that I'm not, like, super excited about the Bledsoe pick, but I am trying my darndest, Evan, to not make it about his last name as much as I can. I was going to ask him the question on the conference call. Somebody Mike else Reese did. asked it. Mike Reese uh-huh. asked it before uh-huh. I did. I was the next I, one. I saw, I saw I heard that question, and I was like, is this Alex? Or no, no Reese beat me to it. I had to ask him about facing Mac Jones, which he had a good answer. He actually said, you know, he was really impressed with Mac Jones' poise. And I, you don't hear a lot of people talk about that, but he said it a couple times. Just Mac Jones, they couldn't phase him, whatever they did. And he said, he said it's going to be great in practice. Me and him are going to run New England. 
So apparently Mac Jones and Josh Bledsoe, according to Bledsoe, are the two hits. But, uh, yeah, no, I, it, it's a very them pick. If you want to go to like the old school Belichick, we didn't see a ton of it in this draft. Uh, Joshua Bledsoe is the old school, uh, 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 Bill pick, except he took him in the fifth, not in the, or in the sixth. Not that, in that's the, the great not part the about it, right? Is that he has a little bit of hip stiffness. You have a little bit of concern about his athletic upside. So that's usually a safety Bill Belichick takes in the second round. Right. And this time around, we at least got him in the sixth round. So we at least saved that. The one thing I wanted to say about the Devin McCourty replacement is Patrick Chung retires. They obviously knew that was coming. And the Patriots signed Jalen Mills in free agency, draft Joshua Bledsoe, Adrian Phillips around. I wonder if they kind of feel like Kyle Duggar is more the Devin McCourty place. Interesting. And not, and not, we thought Kyle Duggar was going to be as the box player. Patrick Chung, tight end stopper. That's what we had in mind for Kyle Duggar based off of his role as a rookie, based off of everything like that, that we heard about it, right? Of what NFL teams saw at the senior bowl, stuff like that, him locking down tight ends. But then they make these moves and they sign Mills and they draft Bledsoe and they're looking for all of these Chung types, these guys that are going to play close to the line of scrimmage and do all the things that Patrick Chung did. And where does that leave Kyle Duggar, right? Why sign Jalen Mills if you're playing with Kyle Duggar is to play him in the chunk role when Jalen Mills basically plays the chunk role himself. So I actually am starting to think that they recognize Kyle Duggar's instincts and his athleticism in the open field is so darn good that maybe playing him as more of a deep zone defender or even as a robber over the middle allows him to turn the football over a little bit more and allows him to have a bigger impact on the game than just putting up him up against tight end man-to-man. If you guard tight ends man-to-man in the league, you're really not going to be a big interceptions guy. Right, you're not going to be right. a big interceptions guy. You're not going to be a big force fumbles guy. You're not going to be a big ter- takeaways guy because you're going to be playing with your back to the quarterback constantly, and you're just going to be guarding in man to man. But if you're in Devin McCourty's role in the middle of the field, now Kyle Duggar can be that ball hawk. Now he can chase around. Now he can hit people. Now he can go after the football when it's in the air. Th- those are the things that I want to see them do with Kyle Duggar. So I'm I'm hopeful that the Bledsoe pick, the Mills signing, I- I'm hopeful that they're going to lead that to uh, Kyle Duggar playing more of a deep middle type of role where he's able to kind of ball hawk and range over the top. Yeah, for sure. Again, I know I know we got more prospects, so I'll try, I'm, I'm ready to like, I love it. roll in there. Uh, Will Sherman. The the Sherman, uh, what a, I thought uh, a lot of people looked at this pick, and, and myself included, and was like, look, they, po- they picked an offensive lineman in the sixth round. They probably know a ton more about the offensive line prospects on day three than any of us do. And who are we to say that they're going to go wrong with those picks after Mike Onwenu and some of the other picks that they've had on day three at the line? Uh, Shaq Mason, Marcus Cannon was a late round pick, but that was for other reasons. They obviously get David Andrews, an undrafted free agent. They have a whole lot of uh, cash when it comes to being able to pick out these linemen later on in the draft. Uh, so yeah. I give them credit for that. I've also heard uh, Josh Schwartz, Brandon Thorne, some of the people that I really trust with O-line play, really high on Sherman, thinking that he's going to be a good player in the league. I see somebody that's explosive out of his stance, uh, moves well for his size, can block in space, can uh, shadow guys at offensive tackle if they want to keep him out there. He's 
almost he's like kind of longer than what the numbers say. He only has 33 and a half inch arms, but he's kind of built differently than Isaiah Wynn. You know, Isaiah Wynn, you watch him and you see, okay, that's an undersized tackle, right? It's it's pretty right. obvious just watching him out there. But in terms of uh, Sherman, he looks a little bit bigger than I think what he's listed as. So uh, he plays a little bit bigger. He's got a nice big wingspan about him. Uh, so he's going to be either a long guard or he's going to be a little bit of a shorter tackle. I, I think he's got a, a future in the league. And in a lot of ways, uh, whether he's a backup, kind of that versatile swing backup where he can play inside or outside, or maybe he can develop into a starter down the road. Yeah, I, they've hit on so many six-round linemen, like you mentioned, because they know how to coach these guys up. And Sherman is kind of their typical late lineman pick. And by the way, it's now seven years in a row they've taken at least one lineman in the draft. Okay. He. He brings all the uncoachables. He brings the instinct. He brings the willingness. He brings the know-how. They just got to shore up the techniques a little bit. And I think, like you said, he's a guy who they can plug and play anywhere. And I think that's valuable because I do think they could use a little more depth on the inside. I know they have Ted Karras as a backup, and that you know gives them the flexibility to move Michael and Wenu out to tackle. But you want to be seven or eight deep, really, it, 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 on the offensive line. And I think... Sherman gives them a chance to do that. And I think, you know, any lineman in the Patriots draft, I'm just going to assume it has upside with the way they've hit over the last couple of years. So we'll see what he ultimately turns into if he becomes a starting tackle or if he just becomes, you know, a good solid third swing tackle, which is a very important role. The Patriots in 2019 really were hurt by not having Adrian Waddle on the roster. So maybe he turns into that. If he does, they did well. So Again, overall solid pick. Great name, too. Call him the Sherman Tank, General Sherman, the Shermanator. It's all good. I, I instantly thought of the Shermanator. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, sure I, I mean, American Pie is a classic. Especially in our age demographic. Uh, but I, I will say one more thing about Will Sherman. Uh, if you're looking for sort of a comparison, right, I would say he, he's a lot more Justin Heron than Michael Onwenu, certainly. Somebody yeah. that's definitely a little bit more athletic, can uh, play out at tackle because of his foot speed and his ability to mirror guys and, and make blocks in space. But he's not a people mover. And play strength is a little bit of a concern. Not as much of a concern as it was with Justin Heron necessarily, but those are the two. That, that's the comparison. It's Heron, not, not a guy like Okay, uh, moving on to the last one here. The Patriots finally take a wide receiver in round seven. Uh, everybody wants a wide receiver all three days. Everybody in our chats and our live streams and on the podcast, Alex, are just telling us yeah. when are they going to take a wide out? When are they going to take a wide out? It's uh, Trey Nixon uh, from UCF. I think a similar uh, – I mentioned Logan Wilson, Cash Malawia, and how that applied to uh, Gillespie and uh, Bledsoe. I think with Trey Nixon, uh, their other wide receiver was also drafted a little bit earlier, uh, Seth Davis. Jacob and, Harris. Or, or uh, Jacob Harris. One, yeah. Yeah, no, Jacob Harris is, is the one I was thinking of, sorry. Yeah. Uh, th- those two guys put up really good numbers, and then they, they end up taking the other guy. Right? They take the later well, round guy and Trey Nixon. Let's not forget who chose him. This wasn't they. We know who we, chose Trey. And we were going to segue into a couple minutes. Okay, well, no, because I think it's the main – I think Trey Nix is going to be good. I am basing that solely off of the concept that he's Ernie Adams' final pick, and there's no other way for the story of Ernie Adams to end a 50-year story. There's no other way for that story to end than he pulls some random receiver out of some mid-major school in the seventh round of his final draft, and the guy goes on to be a stud. It's the only – is there any other way? If there's any justice in the universe, that is how Ernie Adams' story will end. So 
quick scouting report on Trey Nixon before we get into Ernie Adams. Vertical receiver at UCF, he got down the field, right? He's running a vertical route tree, played a yep. little bit out of the slot, mostly out wide, though, and we're talking about go balls. We're talking about deep over routes, stop routes along the sidelines, and the occasional under or shallow drag or something like that, but a very vertical route tree for a guy like Trey Nixon, who then also, when he moved inside, ran vertical routes too, uh, slot fades, deep overs from inside. So someone that's really also, I think, had some untapped potential based off his three-cone time and some of the flashes of the twitching, uh, quick twitch movements that I saw, he might have a little bit more quickness than what UCF actually unlocked because of the router that they had him running. So if you're looking for a comparison, I think a guy like a Chris Hogan is sort of like the way that he plays. Maybe Can I say David bit- Givens or is it two on the nose? It's, it's, he's not David Givens. I don't, David that was Ernie's pick. That was Ernie's pick. Bill David, said that was Ernie's pick. Okay, but David Givens was physical, right? The yeah, biggest I know, problem I know. that I, I that I have with Trey Nixon is at the catch point, right? This is not a wide receiver that I saw attacking the football, right? He lets the football come into his body. He had some drops issues as well. So that's a big concern that I have with this game. A lot of these wide outs, he can, he can run. And he has the ability from his explosiveness to separate. I think he can separate at the NFL level because of his speed. The quite, the problem is, is what did he do at the catch point? And a lot of the times he let the ball come into him or he's tracking it over the shoulder and he's not attacking the football when it's in the air and allowing it to come into his body. And that allowed the guys to get their hands in there or it caused him to fight the football a little bit, things of that nature. So uh, he did have a shoulder injury last year that he battled through a couple of big games anyway. 2019, again, we talked about that a little bit earlier with the 2019 tape being a big deal. 2019 tape is definitely a bigger deal when Trey Nixon uh, than 2020 tape. He, he played with a lot of good, uh, good wide receivers there. Gabriel Davis, um, you, you meant, you know, there's a couple of different wide receivers there that got drafted over the last couple of years. So be interesting to see if he's able to make the football team at all. You know, he's going to have to right. contribute in the kicking game a little bit. Not sure he's necessarily a returns guy. He does have the speed for it. So maybe they do try him out back there a little bit. But, um, yeah, I like, I think Hogan is sort of like what you're looking at some versatility to play inside or outside, some ability to get up the field, uh, that sort of player. Uh, if you don't have anything else on Trey Nixon, seven. I would just pick. say I think I talked about a little bit when you were off the air about, you know, not having yeah. room for a wide receiver maybe on this roster. I think this was exactly the way to attack it. Go get a, a guy who's more upside than floor, which I believe Nixon is. They should be able to stash him on the practice squad. You kind of work with him behind the scenes for a year. And then maybe, I, I don't know that he'll ever be your number one, but he's a guy that can probably turn into a piece here. I think can turn into a piece, a, a, a secondary piece in two or three years. This was the way to go get that guy, and there'll be more space for him on the roster next year. So I this was the way to me, especially without any UDFAs, to attack the wide receiver position. And, yeah, I think they got a good player. I think, you know, realistically, there's a chance he can turn into a Demir Bird type of player and – they got that in the seventh round. They did well. So, yeah, hopefully a little bit more. You know, a little he's less bigger. Than he's bigger than Demir yeah, Bird. Exactly, like, exactly. That idea that like he's a guy who he's not your number one receiver, but his speed's going to influence the way you can run the rest of your offense in that sense, right? Because yeah. that's what Demir Bird did in that sense, where he's a guy who's fast enough that I think that if if they kind of coach up the rest of his game, the the catching ability, that he's a guy you can throw out there and he's going to influence what the defense has to do against you. 
Yeah, very first game I watched of him, uh, Trey Nixon, uh, he gets off the line of scrimmage, limits the surface area, gets through the press coverage jam, and accelerates up the field and beats the corner right over the top for like a 35-yard touchdown. And you're like, okay, let's get, this guy can run a little bit. So so that's optimistic. Um, Ernie Adams, I mean, we got we got to pour one out for Ernie before we sign off here tonight. Yeah. I, I I think that, you know, there's so many great things you can say. I do have my own little Ernie Adams story. I, I think you remember okay. this. Uh, I, you might not remember it off the top of your head, but you will once I start I think I know what you're talking about. Go ahead. So I was on my way home uh, from the 2019 NFL Combine in Indianapolis, and I'm sitting there at my gate getting on the plane back to Boston from Indy, and who is sitting there at the gate reading a newspaper like he's straight out of the 1970s, Mr. Ernie. Ernie Adams himself. So I walk up to him and I say, "Hey, Ernie, you know I'm a I'm a uh, reporter here in Boston. Just wanted to come and, uh, and introduce myself and say hello." He said, "Oh, oh, very cool reporter, huh?" And I was like, "Yeah, reporter." And I knew right at that point in time that he wasn't no. going to say anything. You else. would never talk to him again. <laughs> never <laughs> talk to him again. But that was my uh, my run in with Ernie Adams at the Indianapolis airport. Turns out that the entire Patriots scouting department was on my flight, including. Matt Groh, who at the time I did not know was going to be such a big deal here in New England, right. <laughs> unless I, I probably would have talked to him a little bit more. And so uh, Matt Groh was on that flight. Ernie Adams on, was on that flight. Ironically, Greg Schiano was on that flight as well. Uh, you know, that lasted very long. But that's my Ernie Adams story. And now we can talk about the influence of Ernie Adams, which uh, really stretches beyond – basically touches every single – each of the Patriots football operations, right? The right. Draft, and it's free agency, game day, practicing. I mean, literally everything that the Patriots do, Ernie Adams had his hands on. And let's not forget, and, and Bill kind of said this, but Ernie started with the Patriots in 1975. And it wasn't consecutive, right? He, he went to the Giants for a couple of years. He was on Wall Street for a couple of years. But he helped, Bill said this after the draft, the scouting system they used was built by Ernie, not when he returned to New England in 2000 with Bill, but was set up in the 1970s yeah, with, 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 with Earnhardt and Perkins, right? Yeah. So this is a, the system that Patriots use for scouting, the system that picked Tom Brady, the system that picked Rob Gronkowski, the system that picked, I think, Andre Tippett, I believe. Ty Law, um, Richard Ty Seymour. Ty Law, Richard Seymour. I'm going to Google right. the Andre Tippett one because he's the only one. But you get the point. This system that they're using – was in place 20 years before Bill Belichick got there. And yeah, Andre Tippett drafted in 1982. So this is the system that identified Andre Tippett. Um, Vince Wolfwork, right? This system was in place 20 years before Bill got there. How much of the Patriots organization that we talk about, at least in terms of success, predates Belichick? When you talk right. about the Patriots before Belichick, you talk about, you know, perennial losing seasons, not being able to have Monday night football for 20 years, metal benches, there's, there's the, the, um, the ghost roughing the passer call. There's the refrigerator parry game and there's Desmond Howard. That's pretty much the extent of the Patriots success. Pre, and, and John Hannah, Gino Capaletti. That's the extent of the success before 2000 when it all shifted. But Ernie Adams started putting this in place in the 1970s. That I think is the best way to describe exactly what he meant that it predates Belichick. Almost in the NFL. It doesn't just predate Belichick with the Patriots. It almost predates Belichick's NFL career. Yes. The system that picked Drew Bledsoe. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's pretty incredible. And I think in terms of building the grading system, that's one thing. But 
advanced scouting and sort of uh, game planning and analytics. I know Bill Belichick's going to scoff if he hears that. Uh, well, so that Ernie Adams did think, analytics, but quite frankly, we, he did. We've talked about this. I I don't. I think Ernie Adams invented or was ahead of the curve with the analytics without realizing it. Oh Anal- yeah, analytics. They don't call it analytics is right. because it's their own equation. But at the end of the day, whatever. Well, I don't Adams even know if it's an equation. Analytics. I think it's analytics was hey here's what it was supposed to be. It's been totally perverted since then. But right. what it was supposed to be is here's a way mathematically for common people to understand the game. It showed through numbers what you couldn't necessarily explain because it was just situational awareness. I've always believed Bill Belichick and Ernie Adams, they don't need the numbers to tell them when it's right to go forward on fourth down, when it's right to kick a field goal. I think their football knowledge is just on such another level. Ernie just, it was common sense to him. He just knew. He didn't need math to tell him. We now look at it as analytics, but I think it was just common sense and just the computer of a brain and knowing so many different situations and so much history of the game that he was able to figure all these situations out. So when Bill Belichick took Ernie Adams to the New York Giants and the Giants played the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl, game planning didn't really exist before then. Right, like, like right. you, you, you came out every Sunday. You practiced your plays during the week. Every team was it was a, a game plan. There were no game. There's no such thing as a game plan team. You just did what you did. You just did what you did. Right. You just went, ran out there, rolled the ball out, and mano y mano, whoever won the one on one battles won the game. There was not the strategy of the game is when Bill Belichick and Ernie Adams got together and they started scheming up for the opponent specifically, and they started making up defensive schemes and offense of schemes to go against their opponents and they started double teaming guys and taking guys out of the game and forcing teams to play left-handed. All of that advanced scouting type of stuff started really with Ernie Adams and the things like Malcolm Butler's interception against Seattle, which we've seen that clip a million times where Ernie Adams is sitting in his office explaining that I saw the Seattle run this pick play a couple of times on the goal line. So we were ready for it in practice. Those are the types of things that those two guys together really brought to the NFL and brought to the game of football. Before that, we rolled the football out. You practice your plays during the week. Everybody, they brought the West Coast offense if you're, uh, you know, the, the 49ers or, or whatever, and you show up and you play the game. And then all of a sudden things started to change because these two guys, Belichick and Adams, changed the game. They, they changed the way that people looked at it. And that, to me, is exactly what, makes Ernie Adams a Hall of Famer, right? You know, I'm not talking about him going in as a modern era finalist. I want to make that clear. He's going in as a contributor to the game because from an analytical perspective, from a game plan perspective, from in-game adjustments and in-game coaching and situational football and time management, all these types of things, all of those things that we give Bill Belichick credit for, he devised with Ernie. You know, he, those two guys are the guys that came up with a lot of this stuff. So I don't know if he's going to get into the Hall of Fame. I think that he deserves to be into the Hall of Fame. It might take like a, some sort of book, right? Be, to be right. written about him and exactly what his role was with the Giants and then the Patriots and stuff like that. And in Cleveland to sort of understand how much he had, to, how much he influenced things from behind the scenes because the, the whole scouting world and the whole game plan and coaching and advanced scouting and pro scouting world uh, changed because of Ernie Adams and Bill Belichick. So they they are both of those guys. You know, we we did this whole thing when Dante Scarnecchia retired too, 
right? Where we said, oh, this is a, this is a pillar of the Patriots dynasty. Right. Ernie Adams' face is right up there on the Mount Rushmore. You know, it's, it's Bill, it's Ernie, it's Brady, obviously. And, and I guess we can give that last one to Scar or whoever. You know, do you think, do you think Ernie stays around like Scar has kind of like as a satellite unofficially? I, I hope so. I mean, I think you're optimistic that that's going to be the case. You know, uh, they brought in Evan Rothstein from the Lions, and I do think right. – I, I know that some people are going to be upset by this, but I do think Matt Patricia is is taking on some of those responsibilities that Ernie Adams is leaving behind as well. And, look, uh, Matt Patricia had his issues as a coach – but that guy's a rocket scientist, right? You know, he's a really smart guy. He's a really bright right. person. So maybe all along he did, he really belonged in football research, like Ernie Adams' title technically was. So Evan Rothstein's, uh, n- sorry to Evan Rothstein, uh, we're all nerds. He's the nerd that they brought over <laughs> to kind of replace Ernie Adams, right? Or help replace Ernie Adams, I should say. Yeah. And then Matt Patricia, I think, as well, is taking on some of those responsibilities. So hopefully Ernie Adams sticks around. Hopefully he taught Evan Rothstein every single thing that he knows uh, or every, as much as possible. As, yeah, I don't know if he could do that in a year, but yeah. And I, one more thing on Ernie too, if, if you're set. Um, he said in that, that message to Mike Reese that he's looking forward to joining Patriots fans. Yeah. I really hope he like full on becomes a fan. Like make a Twitter. Let us see us sitting there in oh a jersey, God. drinking he's a beer. Like I want player. to see, like let's see him in the stands at a game, like in section 217, like, I want it. I need it. I know it's not going to happen. I don't care. I need it. Little, you want to wrap up with a little breaking news here? Okay. Oh, yeah. What do we Minor got? breaking news. What's breaking news? Uh, Jameer Bird to the Bears. One year deal. To the Bears. So no yes. Jameer Bird back with the Patriots. I uh, thought maybe I, after the draft they might kick the tires again. Yeah. But I think you're going to see a string of these veteran signings, kind of like John Simon will be in this group and post draft teams wind it oh, up. But yeah, Jameer yeah, Bear, yeah. Bird to Chicago. The Patriots uh, wide receiver who played the most snaps last year. Signed after the draft. Yes. That, he play, yes, he did play the most snaps. He played right? the yeah. most snaps out of any wide receiver on the team, and he signed after the draft. That That's pretty much all you need to know about the skill talent on the Patriots in 2020. Luckily, it's going to be a whole lot better in 2021. And Alex and I will be back on the podcast on Thursday. We're going to do a Q&A. Gonna gonna yeah. accumulate up. No more mock drafts unless you want to do a twenty twenty two mock draft. Oh yeah, way too early twenty two <laughs> mock drafts. All right, uh, we'll do a Q and A on Thursday. Of course, my internet connection fixes itself at the end of the podcast, but at least we were Actually. able to to get through this one. Uh, Thursday Q and A will answer all your roster questions. I know a lot of people have questions about roster projections and fifty three man rosters. It's gonna be tough like this that. year. It's going to be really tough. Let me let me throw this out here real quick. So yeah, no, right. The Patriots normally sign between ten and twenty UDFA's. 15 to 17 of those guys are normally auto cuts. They're just there yeah. to staff camp. They have no UDFAs and 82 players on the roster. The NFL depth on this roster is absurd. Roster yeah. cuts are going to like, like uh, roster projections are going to suck this year. So Mike Reese threw something out there about the UDFAs. I know we got a lot of questions. Yeah. About I, I talked about that when you were off the air. Yeah, yeah. And he said that they might be trying to keep the roster at 80 um, for COVID right. restrictions. I think that's a pretty good, uh, it, that, that's a pretty good theory um, there by Mike is is that maybe they are trying to keep closer to 80 instead of the 90 because last year, remember, they brought in a bunch of UDFAs and ended up cutting pretty much all of them uh, going into camp because they wanted to get down to 80 so they could all be on one practice field instead of separating the two squads. So uh, we'll be back on Thursday, though. We'll answer all those UDFA questions. We'll answer all your roster projection questions. Uh, but until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for bearing with us tonight, guys.